0: hey there dog people of the internet it's sarah stremming the cog dog coach and this is cog dog radio join me as i cover behavior concepts discuss training ideas interview experts and explore my cases all regarding the dogs we live and play with let's go hey friends this week on the podcast i have megan foster Megan is a supreme agility teacher, trainer, and competitor. She runs FX Agility, which is an online resource for all things dog sports. She is my dear friend, my colleague, sometimes my client, always my coach. We sat down to talk about agility curriculum, trial sustainability, and helping everybody to find the sport of dog agility safer and more accessible. Enjoy. Okay, so we're sitting down today to offer some guidance to those brave folks in the trenches teaching group classes for dog agility. Uh, We've both been there, but you, Megan, much more recently than myself. And we have some ideas that can help instructors to provide more trial-sustainable situations to their students in an effort to make trials safer and more accessible for average folks
1: who want to compete. Yeah, that's what we want to do. Uh, Yeah, so I just recently stopped teaching in person in 2020, I guess, right? The pandemic was kind of the last Mm -hmm. straw for me. Uh, And so I've I've seen, and I've had a lot of different formats with the group classes because I've had a lot of different spaces that I've been in. I mean, you were, you've seen several of those spaces seen, you were in I've some seen, of those I've seen classes some, right, and some, had some small spaces to work with and so it was challenging to make sure that everyone could get what they need and also progress in all of the areas so it's not an easy job and agility instructors it's not carry a lot and I think we can make that easier for everyone Yeah,
0: I think that's what we want to keep kind of emphasizing and circling back to is that neither of us are here to point fingers and say anybody's doing anything wrong. We both are really interested in elevating and helping the entire profession because it is a really hard job. And like you said, they're juggling a lot. They're carrying a lot. Like when you're teaching a group of dogs, to play a game you're not only teaching the dogs to play a game you're teaching the people how to play that game you are trying to troubleshoot behaviors a lot of the time that you know are not going to be fine in a trial it is it's also play therapist
1: sometimes so oh my god (laughs) you've certainly you've certainly never played therapist Uh, for me i'm fine i'm yeah (laughs) it's totally fine i've never (laughs) cried about agility ever Uh, (laughs) Uh, No, it's just just been neither of us for the last
0: 25 years. No problems here. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Same, same. (laughs) So, (laughs) one thing that I think we kind of as a culture in dog agility have forgotten, because I kind of do think we used to be better at this, is balance, meaning you, meaning we can oscillate in class between active and passive exercises. Right. And this is an idea that when I see you do it and when I hear you talk about it, I find it to be kind of revolutionary. So (laughs) will you tell
1: everybody kind of what that can look like? Sure. It can. It's going to look different depending on the number of dogs you have in class and the space that you have. But... One, like, really recent example that I I was doing this at a seminar, so I didn't know the dogs at all, but it was a puppy seminar. So they wanted to know what I do with puppies. (laughs) And so it meant creating an environment where maybe one puppy was doing something kind of exciting. So they they were able to move back and forth. Maybe they were being released off their keto board for a for an explosive start line so an active stay while the other puppies were working more on their passive stays so they were still doing things but they were not being managed they weren't just being stuffed in a crate with a blanket over them they weren't brought back out to the car they were actively learning a skill that they're going to need long term and they had really clear instructions of like if they couldn't do it Yeah, we're going to go outside or we're going to create distance or we're going to put a barrier up. So that's kind of one example where I wasn't able to really release them all on their own. But, you know, seven out of eight puppies were just lying down on cots. Maybe they were chewing things. Maybe they were doing a snuffle mat. And one puppy was working on something a little bit more active that took more of my attention. So I could keep an eye on everything. And it worked really great because then... You know, whichever puppy was like relaxed the most, I could say, You're next. And I could reinforce that really good, just settled in, really relaxed with the opportunity to do something exciting. The last set of puppy classes that I taught in person, we had sometimes we would go back and forth between every puppy is doing the same thing. And usually that meant that all the puppies were doing something pretty low key so four or five bravery stations for them to explore in that little round you know 60 foot across round pen that I was in but so the dogs were just they were in there they were existing and they were sniffing around and exploring for food in different different setups and they were doing that all together and that didn't require anything special any barriers And then it was sort of the same thing. Half the room would be doing something a little bit active and the other half of the room would be doing something not so exciting, but trying to build the skills that they're going to need on both sides of the fence (laughs) when they get to the agility. Yeah.
0: So for the dogs, it's this skill of sometimes exciting things are happening that you're not a part of. It's also the skill, and I heard you allude to this, of You buy yourself the exciting things by doing more passive things, which I do think, I mean, I'm just going to put a pin in that because I think we're going to circle back to that repeatedly that this concept of, yeah, this concept of the dogs learning, I get to do the really cool stuff because I did this other stuff. I, I can buy myself the more fun activity by doing this other activity. But something that, so we'll, we'll keep returning to that. That's going to be a core theme in kind of everything that we're talking about. I hear criticism. And whenever I hear it in my head, I'm just going to say it so that we can just put it out there. Yeah. Something that I'm going to hear that I believe that I will hear from instructors is, well, that's great. My students won't do that.
1: Yeah, That's great.
0: I, my students. Yes. my students want to do want to run courses. Yes, my and, students are not going to do bravery
1: games. Blah blah blah. So, what? What's your answer to that? Yeah, this this is another thing that agility instructors are juggling is we have to retain clients, mm-hmm. and I do think that this is where it came from. Uh, you know, I have my theories of like maybe it originated when we start like we were seeing agility on TV. So it like. They saw it and they they want to do that. And so now it's kind of become, well, we have to give them that in order to keep them. And whether that's where it came from or not, it doesn't matter. But that is the belief that I hear when I and the same. I had this belief that I had to give them really exciting stuff early on to be able to keep them. And my experience, however, doesn't actually... Support that belief. I mine, to mine, Wa- mine
0: too. Yes,
1: yeah. right. I moved to yeah. Washington in 2013, and I had a foundation class then. And like I said, my last one started probably end of two, 2018. So like I had quite a few uh, iterations of my foundation program, and every single time I kind of started a new group, it got a little bit longer. It started off a little bit slower. If you, if we have to label it like that, it was split down a little bit more finely. And I didn't lose clients. I, I can, I'm not going to say I lost zero. I, there's a couple in my mind that, you know, they, they were in my first iteration and then they got a new dog and they were in like the second or third or fourth iteration. And yeah, I, I'm remembering some complaints. Like, why is it so different? Why are we doing this? And Yeah, if they left, fine. I'm not for everyone. I can accept that. But what I learned is that people actually sign up, pay money, and show up to your classes because they believe that you're the expert and that you know what you're doing. So if the information is presented in this is how we do things and here's the proof, (laughs) you don't even really need proof. You used to have this, like, I would try to validate my own teaching, I would explain, and then I would go and just trust me, there's definitely method to the madness. And some student one day finally looked at me and said, we wouldn't be here if we didn't trust you. <laughs> and it just was like this big shift of, oh, that's right. So I, I get those beliefs and I get, you know, it's we need clients, right? We have to pay the bills. Um, But I, I do have this shift in like, oh, no, I am actually leading this group of people. And so I'm going to give them the best information that I have available for them. And I'm not going to pretend to know what they want. What they want is to be able to compete with their dog. And I know the set of skills that they need to make that happen. So I'm going to deliver those skills. I'm not doing my job if I just fast track them through all the fun stuff. So it's this shift of really getting clear on what your job is and accepting that you are the expert. I do think that's what's missing. I think that when I presented,
0: you know, maybe a piece of curricula or something that I didn't fully believe in, that I hadn't Mm -hmm. fully bought yet, that I believed was probably the right thing, but like I didn't know for sure it didn't land as well. Yeah. Versus if i present something and i just i don't question it, i just present it as and this is what we're doing now. Yeah. It definitely goes better. And i also think i like that you said it's not your job to assume what they want cuz i do think that's what we're doing a lot. Yeah,
1: absolutely. We're saying
0: and it's hard. We're saying <laughs> i they want to run courses. They want to run courses by week 6. So mm-hmm. like i that's what i have to give to them. You have no idea.
1: No, they, they, because might, they don't they, know. And they might, they <laughs> might think that's how agility class goes, but then they show up and they're like, oh, agility has a lot right. more stuff involved. And yeah. I always, if I had complaints, it was always with, or if I had pushback on like making things slower or, you know, taking a little bit longer mm-hmm. to get there, splitting things down more, it was never from new students, like new to agility people. That's was what I as well. from people who yeah. had already experienced it one way, and I was making a change for them. And yeah. yeah, I totally get that. Change is hard, but same. They're signing up for my classes. They're paying me for the for most. For you and your expertise. Up- exactly. Mm-hmm. And that, for me, especially me, means the most up to date and the most, the way that I most believe in in that moment. And that's gonna be changed. That I mean, it it does change frequently. It has always changed fairly frequently, it, and it, it changes will. Fast. Like science moves fast, people. Like,
0: yeah, and just kind of letting, just letting people make their choices. Like, if mm-hmm. they choose, if they're like, you know what, no, I want to go over there where I'm running a course by week six, then you let them. And always. what could happen is they could circle back. They could realize mm-hmm. what they don't know and circle back. That happened a lot. Like that's a yeah. familiar situation. In which case, then they will understand better. Make They were the kind of person who needed to make the mistakes to understand what you're presenting in the first place. That's going to be some people and you just let them.
1: Totally. Especially now we have to just let people because it's not just another in-person local class that they can go get other ideas from. They can get an idea anywhere from Mm -hmm. TikTok and Instagram and Facebook to YouTube to all of the online classes. Like we can train with whoever we want nowadays. And so, yeah, but if they're still paying for your class and showing up for your class and and participating in your class, the only thing that I can assume is that they want my opinion that is the only thing and if that's really not the case then i mean it's kind of a different conversation but then you just have that conversation with that student if you're not feeling mm-hmm. like they're mm-hmm. that it they are participating in good faith but i don't think i ever had that experience of oh they're they're here they're just using my class or like my class is convenient for mm-hmm. them my classes weren't convenient. Um, <laughs> Neither were mine. They were like <laughs> right? so inconvenient. In I, fact. Yeah. yeah. I kept, I mean, other than I kept, I kept small numbers. So they were hard to get into it, you know, for, I'm a little bit further away from most mm-hmm. areas. Like I was a drive, all of these things. So I don't know. So, so my okay. Opinion. I'm going to give it to them. <laughs>
0: so we we really feel that if you're an instructor and you want to teach it this way, that you should. Yep. And you will figure out what's going to work for you and your clientele. And I also just, you know, hint when you do what you believe in, mm. you will not burn out. It's a lot. We burn out. We burn out because we are trying yes. to give something to people that we don't believe in or that we know isn't what's actually going to work yes. because we're trying to just make them happy. And then we burn yeah. out on the, that
1: job. was that was my experience when I first started traveling for seminars is that I would mm. give them what I thought that they were wanting. So I would try to replicate all the other seminars that I was seeing and it was just not for, it was very hard for me. Yeah, And yeah, it's a lot easier now that I just present me and the way that yep. I want to do things. So yes, all of this to say, client retention will still happen, even if they're not doing 100% of fast-paced, very exciting, yeah, agility-looking things. Yeah,
0: and I think you'll be surprised about actually who's really thrilled with your right. changes and the things that you're
1: Most, changing. Yes, most of the time I, I do, I see relief. From students when I'm like, hey, let's shift and work on that. Because while they they like how much their dog loves agility, but they're actually not in love with how their dog screams in the car when they pull in the driveway of the facility. Right. They don't actually and, like And that. they're
0: not in love with their dog dragging them all the way to the yes. room. And they're not they're not in love with the fight on the start line right. that they have every, every and they run. Yeah. and they're
1: afraid to even bring it up because they look around and they're like, Well Seems kind of normal, right? Or no one else totally, seems concerned totally. about it. Right. Even if everyone totally. is thinking it's a terrible behavior, no one's talking about how to change it or what to do about it. Yeah. So yeah. they're like, okay. So there's almost this this kind of sigh of relief when I suggest how about we Hey, maybe we address that. Let's yeah. let's hey maybe we do, do that about differently. That. Or here's some, you know, so even I, if it's just resources. If it's like a seminar situation, like you can, you don't have to live with that. You don't have to live with that. (laughs) Yeah. So if we
0: bring that balance into classes, the dogs are learning how to bring the energy when necessary and bring it back down when not. Yes. And I think that for a long time in agility, we've been really aware of wanting dogs to ramp up and then come back down. But we have a lot of training procedures that from my vantage point are still kind of an external locus of control. Like we make them bring themselves down because we withhold reinforcement or we withhold access to even maybe doing agility or things like that versus an internal uh, locus of control being the dog choosing to downshift in this situation and then choosing to upshift in the other situation. And some dogs, you don't ever need to ask them to upshift like they're already wanting to. And then some dogs, you, some dogs, it's kind of the opposite. Yeah. You need to ask them to come up because their natural is to go down. Both types of dogs can really benefit from this kind of format. Right. Right which I think that's a place where pushback occurs. I think people are scared of having a dog that's slow. They're scared of having a dog that's not motivated. And so they really amp them up, amp them up, amp them up and then just worry about putting control on it later. Whereas we're just in a different place now than we were like when I started agility, when you started agility, both of us have been at this longer than 20 years like everybody was doing agility, like very few people actually purchased a dog that was actually selectively bred for sports. Right. You know, this, that might be news to people, but that's a relatively new concept. Yeah. And so because everybody was doing agility with like their household pet, that could have been, you know, the neighbor's dog had puppies and you got one, it could have, could have been your, miniature schnauzer from the pet shop. Like it could, it's anything. It's like any number of those things. We kind of developed all these like big, fast, pushy drive building. And I'm putting that in quotations because you can actually <laughs> build drive. That's a totally different situation. Um, or motivational, like fun stuff. And like, we like all that stuff. It's like fun for us. But then if you buy a dog that's like already got all that in there, cause you bought it that way. Yeah, you might want to think about going that direction, and so this benefits both types. Like allowing the one type of dog, you know, like my dog that we um, work really hard to keep a high level of motivation for is Raya, my Icelandic Sheepdog. Where sh- her benefit comes in is that she gets to have a break in those passive exercises, and then she's able to fully bring her entire self. To the active exercise,
1: yeah. So she is comfortable. She's relaxed. She's not using up any unwanted energy, uh, but also, and she's learning that exciting things happen around her, and that's not stressing her out. I um, mean, mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't anyways for her, I don't think. But some dogs, no, but she doesn't does. need to put any energy into it because she'd like right. to yell about it. Because she likes she yelling. Yeah, she does like yelling. She does, <laughs> so she's not wasting her energy barking about it. Some dogs, it would just be stressful to be in that situation. And then they're Very overwhelmed. Mm-hmm. So now they don't, they can't get excited because they're, because they don't know how to be there. So it helps that. And right. also I would say that if they, if dogs that were trying to maintain a high level of motivation, if they do a short short uh rep or two of really really great high enthusiasm good speed for them they're totally 100% committed and then they get to go back and do the thing that they're good at which is lie down and look cute and be relaxed like mm-hmm. i think it's it is mm-hmm. reinforcing for them in that way too mm-hmm. that they don't have to maintain- in the same way yes
0: right and in the same way that the
1: dogs that really want to go go
0: go we reinforce the calm behavior by letting them have the go, go, go.
1: Yes. So by having both sets of skills available, you can meet the needs of all the dogs, I think, more easily than not. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if everyone in the class is working on both of these, I don't have to single out anyone to go. You need to be working more on self-control or whatever that, whatever we want to call it. And you need to be working more on, drive building or whatever you want to call it. And now now I have two classes going on at the same time and and everyone is comparing. And we have feelings. Yes, we have, everyone yeah, has feelings com- about it. We like, have comparison. Mm, that, that dog gets to do all the fun stuff and I have to sit here and do downstairs. No, everyone does everything because everyone needs all of the skills. You, It yeah. might just look a little bit differently. So if Sprint and Raya were in the same class together, Raya would be doing one or two reps of active And then going back into passive, but maybe for just until she recovers and then back into right back active, whereas sprint, I might in the beginning, she might need more active to be able to do the passive and Mm -hmm. then start kind of balancing those out. She might
0: need more time to become truly passive yes. in order to then circle back. So she would just spend longer in each, yes. but they would both shake out the yes r- So the I'm mistake. only
1: going to do one mm-hmm. or two reps with sprint in that way of active, passive, active, passive. But Rhea might get in five because she's going to mm-hmm. have shorter periods of time.
0: Mm-hmm. She's just going to be doing each thing. Yes, for less time exactly at, at one at like one sitting and that's where i think that would be easier for instructors to kind of like if everybody is doing the same stuff we're just paying
1: attention to how long everybody is doing right. each thing 3 minute timer let's say for each dog i can it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many reps you get in it's just whatever that dog needed in those 3 minutes they're going to get it if if that's the way the format is going to be put together. Um, So it's, like I said, I think it's easier and more sustainable long-term because everyone's doing the same thing. It's just, just like anything else, it's individualized to the dog in front of you.
0: And this lends itself to, trial sustainability in a lot of different ways. First of all, we just described what an agility trial is. It's downtime with short bursts of of action. Yes. But it also teaches people, I think, because I think most kind of normal class formats don't really provide people this. With these skills of, and now you're going to hang out and it isn't Pez dispensing. Yeah it isn't just feeding, 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 and trying to survive these passive times. It is truly training in the passive times and truly feeling comfortable with those times. Yes. Versus having to, you know, stay outside the building until it is time for you to rush straight into the ring because the dog is otherwise just going to be screaming ringside and you're shoving cheese into their face as you're trying to walk them through the facility so that you Mm -hmm. can get them straight into the ring and go. Like, it's just... What a racket! Like you, poor people. Like I, you, yeah. I don't want you to experience that. I want
1: you to be able to actually enjoy yourself. Like right walk and, in and, and then it's just not and, a surprise either that waiting mm. is a part of agility.
0: Oh my god! Because they all dogs. I mean, honestly, the amount of waiting that's involved in agility is astronomical, and like the <laughs> fact that any dogs tolerate it is it's such that a big we deal. We tolerate and it. It's
1: so the fact amazing. that we tolerate
0: like, it. So, it's so funny, actually, that how little action there actually is in a day at an agility trial. And yet we are all
1: still showing up. Yes.
0: We don't want the dog to think it. We want the dog to go,
1: Oh, this is the passive part. Yes. And that they're used to it and that they understand Mm -hmm. it. And that it's, it's not stressful. It's not frustrating. It just is. And it's just a part of how the day is going to go. It's going to be a lot of waiting.
0: It's just part of it. And even it's so funny because we're watching my puppy Carson. She's six months old. We're watching her. You know, she doesn't want to wait. Like she's six months old. She wants to be going, 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 going. And we're watching her totally just fold herself into the fact that like, she's like, yeah, okay, this is the waiting part. Like she's already in and out of the waiting part because her entire education has been this. And I've just fully raised her in it. And I have so many video clips of her becoming excited about something and then choosing to flop down into a down at Mm -hmm. my feet because it's just, it is what I have showed her to do again and again and again when something is exciting.
1: And it's so much easier to make this a part of their basic set of skills because once they kind of... Learn how to access agility without being able to wait. Oh yeah, it can be so much. Well, and just once they them know,
0: themselves. once yeah. they know what agility is. Yes. We just
1: saw her like last <laughs>
0: week thought, decide like, that she knows what agility. She, it's funny because she doesn't. So she has funny. no idea oh, what agility she knows nothing. is. But just last week, there was a major shift in her behavior yes. in the training. Yes, she and from- if we hadn't taught her. <sighs> She went from like tottering puppy, just like, yeah. oh, like doing cute stuff to like, oh, I run really fast. Yeah. Oh, I like, throw myself exercises, right? Got it. And she's like, I do agility. Right. And basically, if you don't teach them how to be passive before they figure this out, it is much harder to so teach harder. them later. And you can do it. And we still encourage you to. And it's something that you and I actually teach people on a regular basis. But- we would love it if the agility curricula just involved this.
1: Yeah. Just as so a so that people didn't have to fight to teach yeah. it later. It's just a normal thing. It is it so again it goes back to you know, it's your class, you are the leader, you set the expectations, you set the format, and it is exactly how it is. Um when when I was at the peak of teaching in person and I had Several instructors teaching for me. Our foundation program started with really kind of dog training 101, essentially, um, especially for new trainers. But the first week, and I'm happy that this is becoming more popular, I'm seeing it on more and more trainers' websites, is that the first week is completely dogless because we mm-hmm. spend the entire first night just completely talking about all of these expectations and teaching the humans how to navigate the space, how to move from the car to the potty area, to the door, to the crating area, to the ring. Like, how are we going to... How is everyone going to work together in this class to help each other? It ge- it gives the students and the instructor that time to, like, talk about any concerns that they have, and the dog isn't there. And it just... It kind of just sets everything up for more success because everyone knows what's going to be happening at every given time. Everyone knows their cues. Yeah, and there's a lot of ways to get that done. Like yeah. if you want to have dogs there every week,
0: you could send them. You could make them a video it, and send it ahead of it time. Could be a video. You it can, can be a like Zoom there meeting. Are nowadays, so many ways. Like it could absolutely be the first first classes on Zoom. You guys don't have to drive all the way here because we're not going to do any dog training. Like it's. There's a lot of different ways to do this. And in all of this discussion about agility instruction and how we can help classes produce more trial sustainable behavior, we are remiss if we don't talk about the fact that behavior problems are going to show up in your class. Yep. And this is my primary background is I'm, I work as a behavior consultant and I not only do I not expect agility instructors to do behavior modification, I hope that they're not within the agility class. Like if you are qualified to be doing behavior modification and you do that as well, great. It should be happening outside of your class though. It shouldn't be happening in your class format. And so what I think we can provide agility instructors is like just better information about when to refer out, What kind of person should you be referring to? What are the behaviors that are okay for you to kind of help the person navigate through in class versus not? Um, Because I think that instructors feel a lot of pressure, again, on that client retention front. They Mm -hmm. don't want to kick somebody out of class. Totally. Maybe you don't have to kick them out. Maybe you can just say, I need you to also be enrolled with a behavior consultant. Like, I need you to also be working on this. But do you agree that, like, the instructors, again, another thing they've got to carry is just that you're the front line. Like, you are seeing these people before they ever enter a trial. And it is, I, it's, a, it's a tightrope yes. I'm walking right now. You can yep. tell because I don't want to say that it is your fault if a problematic dog enters a trial because people are going to do what they're going to do. Totally. We but, can't, if you didn't, yeah. but if you didn't say anything to that person... Yeah. And you didn't address this. You didn't talk to them. That is a problem. Yes.
1: Yeah, it's it's certainly a line. And again, like balancing the supporting them while they are working on the problem versus letting the problem continue to show up. And I, I think mostly it goes back to if you don't have a clear definition for yourself of what your job is. I think this is how, because mm. I've certainly been there feeling like I have to do all of it, even if I Absolutely. don't want to, or if I don't feel like I should or can, or, oh my gosh. And certainly you, you don't want anything bad to happen. So if I don't know how to help that person, then my, really my only other choice is to manage the class situation so that nothing bad happens. But that's not helping either, right? No, because nobody is managing the trial like yes. that. I can't it, it because because they can't. Parties.
0: That's not right. even a criticism of no. anybody. That's no. just we got three hundred fifty runs
1: to get through no per one ring. Needs, there's no such no one a needs feral to, they, environment, right? right. Like, and no one's right. no one's guaranteed that. No one's owed that. Like a dog show is what a dog show is, and so absolutely. So the shift for me was definitely getting really clear on what my job is and what I'm comfortable providing as a service. Um, and then having my hard lines, right, what are my line like what is going to get a dog dismissed from class? like you're not allowed to be in this mm. building with me, right having that those red lines, then having those like yellow lines of we can continue to work together in this in the but it needs to be on a private level. I can't have you around other dogs right now or other people right now and then. Right. There's a little bit more or yes, we can have or, you know, these are my lines for accommodations. This is what I'm willing to do to support you while you're working with another professional mm. or with me outside of this setting. Like we're doing if if you're both, if you're behavior consultant and agility instructor and then having those like, yeah, this is totally fine. I don't see this as a problem. As in. We can definitely man we can definitely manage and also change this behavior in this setting. So if you just get really clear on what you as an instructor want to do, can do, and and that those expectations are I would I would honestly I would just have them written out. Like there's all the time totally. everything that we sign up for, seminar class, every it all says no aggressive or reactive dogs, but none of that is actually spelled out. And
0: quite no, honestly, I don't it's even. Not know explained.
1: That it's, it's not explained. It's not clear, and I'm not even sure it's enforced in most situations.
0: I've never seen it be enforced unless a dog actually hurt somebody. Like, right. It took it took the dog actually causing harm yes. to get it enforced, and honestly, that's true across the board. Generally speaking, at trials, yes. at trials as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. And it. Again, just like, it's not our job to be nice and fluffy, <laughs> right? Yeah. It's, and, it's and not. we have to trust that, again- Which is good,
0: Megan, me, because neither, neither of us are very good at it. Yeah, it's not my fault.
1: <laughs> um, but again, if they're coming to you because you're the expert and you're the leader, they're, they, the owner is probably aware and uncomfortable with a certain amount of their dog's behavior, but if the leader of the class doesn't seem to have a problem with it, they are going to believe that it's not a problem. So I don't think that yeah, necessarily we're in charge of, like, like we're key, like we're in charge of making sure that all dogs that enter are safe. But I do think what we are responsible for is modeling behavior for our for mm. everyone watching us. So yeah, like if I you said, you are
0: in a leadership
1: role. Yes, everyone is watching how you're handling everything else. Yeah. Exactly. So if I'm okay with a dog that's leaving work and maybe charging at the other dogs that are ringside, and I'm comfortable with letting that continue, I can't then be upset with dogs leaving work and charging my dog at a dog show. Like those, I'm. Right. I just want to make sure that my own. Like, my own boundaries in my class are in line with what I would expect elsewhere. Um, so I think just having some really clear completely, lines yeah, lines for yourself is a good place to I start. I think that
0: I'm just going to throw out what my opinion as a behavior consultant is as far as what you should be referring out. So because I think sometimes this is fuzzy, they're not sure if I should refer this or not. Mm -hmm. So for me, barking and lunging that is directed at dogs or people. So a dog that is dragging you into the building screaming because they can't control themselves is in the right place. (laughs) You want to build a curriculum that can help them to control themselves better. But a dog that is dragging a person towards a dog or a person barking and or lunging or, you know, has a tendency to bark lunge at other people, uh, at other dogs or people, should be referred out. A lot of those dogs can stay in class with accommodations, but I would make sure that they are working with the behavior consultant to get better, for sure. And I would be clear with them, like this kind of behavior can't happen at the agility trial, so... You're going to go, you're going to work on it. We're going to make some accommodations. I'm going to ask you how it's going. I'm going to keep asking you how it's going Yeah. so that we can pair back those accommodations and get you closer to that ring sustainable picture here together.
1: Yeah, I think that goes in the like when you're when instructors are writing out their job description. If it's within that, yeah, they can stay in class, but they need to be in work with a professional. I think if you're going to allow them into class, you need to be open to hearing about what they're doing with that mm-hmm. other professional, and and helping to support them in making the setups and accommodations. And if you aren't, which is fine, then if you don't want is to fine. Deal with it, but don't they shouldn't be in your then class. You need to t- like, and you can decide for yeah. yourself if you're willing to save their spot and let them come back in when they're finished, or whatever. Like you can, yeah. you can make those yeah. decisions. And feel okay with them. I, I'm not here to say what's right or wrong or even what I would do or wouldn't do necessarily. Because it would probably depend on the t- the problem behavior. It would depend on the situation. And, and the Absolutely. situation. But I just need to... Like, you need to have it clear in your head as the instructor. And it's a lot easier to clear these things up ahead of time before they actually happen. <laughs> because making guidelines and policies and rules and things when you need them is stressful. I mean, speaking yeah, and
0: As a behavior consultant, I work with a lot of people whose dogs have problematic behaviors in the agility environment,
1: mm.
0: who sometimes they leave their class, but sometimes they stay in their class when, while we're working together. My rule is always that we do have to have your instructor on board in order for you to stay in this class. Your instructor should know that you're working with me They should know why, and we need their cooperation. And sometimes there's a three-way email chain that happens so that everybody can get on the same page as to what I need class to look like for this dog. And if it can't look like that, or if it's too much to ask for it to look like that, then absolutely, I'm not asking the instructor to to do that. It's a communication loop that just needs to be involved. If you're going to keep those folks in your class while they're working with the professional, you got to support their work with the professional. That does not mean you do their homework for them. It means you're supportive. It means you're right. saying, what can we do? No, I'm not, you no, know, they shouldn't get any extra time. They shouldn't get any extra. It's just how can we adjust your turn to look mm-hmm. like it's supportive and supportive also means, you know, I, I, have, you know, could tell a very sad story that is an old story at this point of a dog that I knew that was put on a certain medication for an aggressive behavior. The agility instructor observed that the dog was not as fast on the medication, made the recommendation that maybe they should get off the medication. The person took the agility instructor's advice and things did not end well for that dog or that family. So <laughs> supportive also means <laughs> that if you think maybe Five yards per second is not as good as six and a half, and you think that's about something that you're doing with the behavior professional um, supportive would would be to maybe leave that out. Like that's not up to you to decide, right? So stay in your lane. I when think I the- <laughs> say that would be the short way to say it would be <laughs> stay in your lane. But so barking and lunging at other dogs or people is sometimes. Not without, sometimes that is well-intentioned. Sometimes those dogs are just crazy friendly and yes. popping out of their heads about it. Yes. So I do want to also state, because I the rules still apply, if they're doing yep. that behavior, they need to be working with somebody. Agreed. That actual outward aggression towards dogs or people yep. needs to be referred out. You can absolutely just ban it if you want to. doesn't have to be in your class. But it. You should also refer.
1: Yes. Don't just. You're not super them. ethical. Yeah. You're not super ethical if you just say don't come back. Right. Because they'll um, just find another agility class that will yeah. take them. Honestly, like that's yeah. all that's going to happen. They will. They will. Because the um, behavior that was modeled wasn't clear.
0: Exactly. And again, we are in a leadership position. It is up to us to model good behavior in that regard. Speaking as a person who had, I had a really severely aggressive dog. My first dog that I did agility with was really severely aggressive and um, he was kicked out of classes and he was asked to wear a muzzle in one class. And he, I mean, it was, this was also before there were nice muzzles, like Baskerville didn't exist. So <laughs> it was not a good situation for us. I was never referred out. I was asked not to come back instead. And honestly, I was a kid. My parents wouldn't have paid a behavior professional anyway. So it's neither here nor there, right? But, but it that still didn't happen. Good. It was right. still you just can't come back. You just yeah. wonder like, um,
1: what's wrong with me and my dog? Like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, among
0: other things. Right. So it, it was a rough time. It was a rough time.
1: Right. But like, <laughs> so it's, it's, outward
0: it's, aggression, yeah. it can't be happening. And if you just say you can't come back, you're again not modeling the behavior yeah. that we we feel like you should be modeling. I'm gonna say severe crate distress, which is right, something yes. that yes, I think please. in in our in our culture. How many emails have you gotten where the person they they work really hard, they train their dog, they go through all these stuff, and then they go to a class. They finally get into the masters of handling class. And they finally yes. get into that handling class. And everybody's dog is created ringside. And they're like, okay, well, we create ringside. So they put the dog in a crate and the dog loses its mind. Yep. They've never experienced and that. And then before. they're like, I didn't know that, like, nobody talked about how to prepare yeah. the dog to do this this entire time. So that might yeah. just be a hint as well that we might want to be talking about that in classes. And also, by the way, you are, when you switch from passive to active, you are giving the dog the skills of crating.
1: Yes. A absolutely. crate. Is
0: not the whole picture no. there. No. Like, the whole picture
1: is teaching them to do it without the crate. My experience actually. with that, actually, especially at the foundation level, is that all of the new to training or puppies or whatever, they're quite great for like the first three or four classes. Their crating is mm-hmm. perfection. And but then yeah, because they don't know they don't know anything. Carson had that like (laughs) light flip on recently, so the dogs in the class their light flips on, and now they don't like being crated, and that is frustrating. They're like, I can't be in here. yeah, yeah. But if we just let's not like whatever. It like for me, I think probably ideal would be if the dog needs to be crated, it needs to be in the car or outside, so they can truly like get out of the environment. And if we're working on relaxing. It's a skill in the class because, yes. well, we just realized yeah. it with Sprint recently. I've never worked on crating ringside. You have never ever. put
0: her in a crate on the field ever. In two and a half I years. put her in a soft crate on the field while I worked Felix. And it was And fun. she just laid down and relaxed you because you haven't used a crate, but you have asked her to lay down and relax yes. ringside plenty. Yes.
1: Yes. And it just transferred. It yes. just transferred so it, right it, over. It, yeah. um, it was one of those like weird things of like, I should do this. I should show her this. And she's like, what, she's what is like, this? What about like a this? Tire? What is this? <laughs> this. So yeah. it, it was just, again, just another moment of clarity of like, oh. Right. If we actually just teach them about waiting, waiting isn't that hard. And waiting is the skill. Creating yeah. isn't the skill. And Correct.
0: I, obviously that's in my happy craving <laughs> yeah, that's obviously program, like your uh, obviously this is kind of a thing that I do, yeah. and but it works. create, create distress, dogs that dogs. are, dogs that are salivating yeah. and unable to calm down and mm-hmm. big pupils. And I mean, we all know what like actual distress yes. looks like. This is not where you go. You need to put that dog in the car. no. If the dog does fine in the car, right. I'm happy about it. But you should still say, and also, hey,
1: yeah, that we looks to, like a problem. Yes.
0: Right. That looks like a problem for you. Like, hey, do you use a crate at home ever? Like, what's mm-hmm. the, you know, have right. a conversation with that student. Yes. I remember somebody who locally would show up um, at trial sometimes and try to run her dog, but her dog was severely distressed by being in a crate or left in the car. Just severely mm-hmm. distressed. And so she couldn't go to agility without having a helper to literally be with her dog the whole time. But also Mm -hmm. her dog would not relax the entire time it was there. And so it was a nightmare. And I'm thinking of one person, but I've seen several people in this kind of similar, especially first time agility people, they don't know that the dog has to literally lay around all day long waiting to run.
1: I don't think we see it as often anymore that like people are surprised at how long the, the mm-hmm. weight is. But when talking with lots of people recently about their, like, what surprised them about- Oh, you had this great poll. You
0: asked yes. you asked people <laughs> what surprised you about agility before
1: you do it. And, and I mean, that it blew me away, Megan. Me. The answers you got blew me away. And yeah, and one of them was, like, they didn't know that their dog was going to have to be in a crate, like, or that would need to, like, like, they thought they were just going like to run into one. Like, they didn't right. Yeah. just the whole like how the day was gonna go was a complete mystery to them they thought they would just show up and yeah. run agility and it wasn't even just like well what are you gonna do with the dog when you're walking the course you walk courses at class right what do you do with the wait like all of these things like come up and you know and, what and the just, there's
0: any any number of things right. that the dog is doing while they walk but i what if have the a dog just who wander I just... around
1: while they walk courses, they, they might. might. I they might. have a
0: student right now who sent me her video in class. She's walking the course with the dog attached to her on a leash. Right,
1: that she's a new person.
0: Real. She didn't know.
1: Right, and, and I, it's not a problem. It isn't. It's not a problem that that's happening, but it is a problem if it's not right. also learning. It's a problem
0: for it's okay. a problem for sustainability. Yes. It in and of itself, whatever, but it's not sustainable. Once again, and so. Right. Severe crate distress needs to be given more information, referred out, et cetera. It is something that needs to be addressed or separation distress. Like if you yeah. can't leave the dog in the car either, right. that needs to be referred out. Like those people are not going to be able to compete in agility without actually addressing that and it is also a welfare concern. So for both of those reasons, yeah. I think that needs to be referred out, but you will also avoid seeing it as much if you have this stuff going on in your foundation classes, for sure.
1: I think. For sure. Just because I th- I think this is, I'm sure someone will be thinking it. Like when you're talking about when to refer out and like what we're looking for, how many times do we have to see it before we refer out to it? Is this something that you have like, mm. a, a, do you have a recipe for this? Or is this within the instructor's own comfort level? Because um, I kind of have my I idea, mean, uh, but.
0: Well, I want to hear yours. But for me, I see it one time I have a conversation. Okay. So one time yeah. and it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. If it's a pattern, it's, you know, right. and in that conversation, I say, would you, you know, are you interested? Like, is this a problem for you elsewhere? Okay. Was yes, this same. a surprise to you too? <laughs> yes. Like, was this a surprise to you too? Is yeah. the big question. Half the time it's going to be, no, I knew this would happen. Yeah. That's an instant That's referral. an immediate. Okay. Yes, we're on the same page. Second. <laughs> I'm so surprised. Second right. time, you know, second, second answer, which is, um, yeah, that was brand new behavior. I've never seen I'm it. Maybe you questions. can adjust. Yeah. yeah. Maybe we can adjust the situation to not evoke that behavior then another yeah. time.
1: Yeah. Yeah. If it's like, if it really, like if it's an out of the ordinary something that happened and it caused a reaction, I'm savvy enough to go, that surprised both of us, right? That was weird, right? Yeah. yeah and we sure. can yeah. make adjustments. But if it's something that's going to be happening, you know, Every week, several times a night in class, and and it's causing right. a reaction. I'm gonna, yeah. So definitely, okay. So start. I would immediately start asking. Well, and,
0: a, and a really good example would be like
1: outside of class. Like yeah, but a really good example is like I had somebody's
0: dog go after their instructor in you know that no harm was done, but it was an outwardly aggressive move towards the instructor. Because the instructor bent to pick up the dog's toy.
1: Oof, yeah.
0: Okay, so, and the person was shocked because the dog doesn't do that to them and didn't know that the dog's feelings about toys were such. Now, that's a bit, I mean, we could probably talk for like three more hours
1: about that. Oh my.
0: But that is a scenario where you go, okay. Right. I'm not going to touch your toy again. Number one. but (laughs) But number two, you might want to deal with some of these feelings because this could right. show up other places. Yeah. And also if you go to a seminar or something, you got to speak up about this. Right. You can't, you know, tr- like people yeah. are going to touch your stuff. Right. They are. I remember I was teaching a seminar once and I bent down to pick up a dog's toy, literally just to bring it to the woman right. because she yeah. was picking up something else. And we were trying to wrap up the session. Yeah. And like three, three people ringside who knew this dog and I didn't cause I was out of state. Right stopped they all yelled and stopped me oh my gosh can i that and i was pissed so i literally said that should never have happened because right. i need that information beforehand before It's always like you.
1: You do not. What do I need to know about everyone here? Literally, come on! Like, Uh, do not let like, especially with the work that I do now, where I'm there (laughs) to like put pressure and add distractions to the dogs. I need to know if me being a complete weirdo while your dog weaves is going to be a problem. Like, if I, you know, I need to know. Your dog going to bite me if this happens? If
0: and so. That's, that's a type of situation where it's like, that's, that's not necessarily an instant referral. It's not even a kick out. It's a, Hey, just so you know, though, yes, this can't happen. Right. So you have to communicate with people. Yeah. You and also we're going to work on your toy skills because the dog having that level of feelings about your toys is also indicative of some other stuff that probably (laughs) means the toys are not serving you in this context. So you might even say like, okay, we're going to move on to food. I even had a dog that had to stop going to the class because she wasn't allowed to use food on the turf. And so she, if she was going to use food, it had to be in a manners window or like in a Lotus ball and the dogs, my heart aggression about this stuff right was such that this was just not sustainable right, just gonna, she's gonna gonna the yeah, dog's no. dog's gonna guard the manners minder dog's gonna guard a lotus ball and
1: mm. the person's not
0: allowed to use food on the turn. I mean it was just I mean trust me yeah don't you don't even have yeah, to get me no. started we have the same feelings about it but so these are things that like you got you can have a conversation with them and figure out what's gonna work for you guys especially right. because like you know, and also that's a person that I would say probably don't use a fix and go with the, or not a fix and go, go, uh, an NFC yeah. with your toy oh my
1: gosh. situation you because your toy
0: shouldn't be in there.
1: Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, like, so, especially, well, just now, like UKI, you can bring your toy to the line with your leash and the leash runner yeah, will leave it there. pick up the toy and take it mm-hmm. to the finish line for you. Like you can run be it running for competition and someone's going to come up and yep. pick up your leash and your toy. Like, yikes. Okay. Yeah. So. Yikes. Stripes. We do not like that. So. That one was (laughs) a for me. I am going to stick to teaching agility. Thanks.
0: (sighs) My last one that like, my last one that I think isn't addressed like directly enough is handler directed aggression. And because it happens all the time and it's just labeled arousal. Yes. It's, or it's, well, you you were late. Yes. So you, what? So what, you get bit? It's something that early in my career, I had a, a couple of dogs that would really severely bite their handlers. And it was really frustrating for everyone. I learned a lot from both dogs. I did not handle either dog the way that I would today. In my defense, we are talking about 13 years ago. So, but- If a person is being bitten severely by their own dog in this context, your first question needs to be, does the dog bite you in any other context? Right. And if the answer to that is no, then a very real conversation about whether agility is appropriate for you and this dog does need to be had. Because if, if if a person and a dog come to a behavior consultant and they say, you know, my dog really severely bites me when I scratching behind his ears. Yeah. The easiest thing to say is don't do that anymore. Like the dog doesn't like Mm. that and don't do it. Obviously that's like a vet situation, whatever, like you would figure that out, but, or like the dog really severely bites me when I wear blue jeans. Okay, cool. You're not going to wear blue jeans around this dog. Like what? First of all, it's a hardship anyway. No one has to wear blue jeans anymore. So (laughs) it's like, if the dog really severely bites you in the sport of dog agility and nowhere else, right? And we're not talking
1: about puppies mouthing or the dog. No, I'm talking about deep toy. bruising. No, yes. yeah, I'm talking about no, deep talking bruising about that isn't grabbing. Sometimes bleeding, thinking, and, and yes, it's, it's really not better. Intentional. Can it's we in, yeah,
0: it's intentional the, on the dog's part. Clear yeah. that myth. Up. Yeah, it's not a good
1: training <laughs> session if you're bleeding. So.
0: So that's something that, and I, that's going to be a tricky one for the referral because if the person Mm -hmm. does not want to quit agility and you refer them to a behavior consultant who doesn't know anything about agility, the first thing the behavior consultant is going to say, the dog needs to no longer be in that context. That is what any of us would say. That is what we are trained to say. And so that's going to be a tricky one. It has to be a big conversation, but it needs to be a conversation. Yeah. Because guess what happens in the trial when you no longer have your reinforcers, you no longer yeah. have any of the communication that you ha- that you're using in the mm-hmm. in training. Yep. The shorter setup and you have
1: way higher relax, you have way higher everything. arousal
0: levels. Yep. Is that that person gets bitten very very badly in that yep. scenario? Yeah. And if a person literally needs a doctor to treat their dog bite wound,
1: <sighs>
0: yeah. That's just, that's not good. We don't need that. We don't no, need that, that happening. That's in this not, and you no, maybe I'm will not. never have, you're maybe going, Sarah, what is wrong? What was wrong with these dogs? I've never seen anything like that. I promise you, you have.
1: Yeah. And the I promise you that it was, really hidden, it was at, hidden
0: from I you. Know it yeah. was hidden from you intentionally. I know a woman who left a trial um, bleeding from the belly. Her oh malinois bit her straight in the stomach and she had a pretty serious wound in her, the flesh of her stomach, and nobody would have known no. that that dog bit her that bad. No, because she, you get really because good. Because they don't want to get reacting well, and you you lose your cue if the judge right. knows that that happened. So we can't have right. that. So, <laughs> Megan, <laughs> anything you want to add? We have had a big conversation. What is there anything that we kind of didn't
1: hit that we need to hit? I don't know. I'm sure they'll tell us when they listen. Uh (laughs) I mean, they'll tell us all kinds of things. No, I I think we talked about a lot of good stuff. And I think mostly just like your students are there and they are trying their best and your instructors are are also doing their best. And I don't think that this is a I don't I certainly don't want it to be like a situation where all of the pressure is put on one person in the room on anybody on any one person in the room everyone is responsible here um but Mm -hmm. i i think we didn't say it outright but i do think the whole conversation kind of led itself that way is that we can't be afraid to have conversations with our clients Mm -hmm. or we can't be afraid to have conversations with our instructors. And honestly, like classmates shouldn't be afraid of talking to each other about these things either. So I, I think a lot of these things get solved with just being clear and upfront about them all. So it's tricky and hard. I think like, so It's easy, but yeah. it works.
0: It does. And on that
1: note, right. we made you all a resource.
0: We did a thing. We made you something. We made an ebook for instructors. We're trying to help take the guesswork out of this. If you're listening and you're going, This sounds great, but I'm not sure where to start, the ebook will tell you where to start. We think it's pretty cool. So, yeah, we did. It right. <laughs> we gave hope, you We hope that you do too. Quickly, we <laughs> <the> link. <laughs> we do. We, we tried to make it very digestible and very easy to follow and easy to yes. use. There's even um, kind of sample sample curricula in there from you.
1: Yep. Um, and like these, uh, templates that folks yes. can use as yes. well. Pretty. Yeah. If you're into fill in the blank prettiness, like I am,
0: we got that. We got, we got it for those. you. That's what Megan's here for. That's what <laughs> Megan's here for. So like you're <laughs> notebook,
1: paper or your computer spreadsheet. Well, then you can stick to that, but you, you can like make that yourself. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if you like pretty stuff that we hope is helpful, we made it for you. The link for it um, will be in the notes here. We'll also put it on our corresponding social media post for this podcast. And you can always, of course, grab it on either of our websites. All of that information will be in the show notes. And with that, thank you, Megan, for doing this deep dive with me.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having
0: me. Thanks for listening. I hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe wherever you heard this podcast. And don't forget to join Patreon at patreon.com slash CogDogRadio. And if you're interested in more content like the stuff you heard here, I hope you'll check out my online courses, my membership, and all of my offerings at my website, sarahstremming.com. See you there.